Welcome to this special feature of Poem of the Week. My name is Peter Rose, I'm the editor of Australian Book Review. Stephen Edgar was the first winner of the Peter Porter Poetry Prize, even before it was called by that alliterative mouthful. Stephen won the ABR Poetry Prize, as it was originally known, with his poem Man on the Moon back in 2005. Judith Beveridge won the Peter Porter Poetry Prize in 2015 with her poem As Wasps Fly Upwards. Both these distinguished poets have recorded their poems for Poem of the Week. When I was in Sydney recently, I asked Judy and Stephen what it was like to be married poets. Uh, Judith Beveridge, Stephen Edgar, it's unusual in Australian literature to have uh, literary partners, husband and wife. Um, in the 40s and 50s, of course, there were uh, Vance and Nettie Palmer, um, and then the famous duo of George Johnston and um, Charmian Clift, and more recently, our friends, Andrea Goldsmith and uh, Dorothy Porter. Both, I seem to recall, um, shortlisted one year in the same Miles Franklin Award. But to my knowledge, it's very unusual in poetry. So I wondered if you might uh, tell us a little about what it's uh, like to be in a, a marriage of poets and how it might, say, influence the work. Um, it works very well for us. It may not be quite so good for uh, you know two poets to get together all the time, but um, I think uh, we both admire each other's work very much, which helps. Um, and it's just lovely, I think, really to be able to share... Uh, your your passion with someone who's equally as passionate about the art form and so it gives us a, a depth I suppose to our relationship which is very satisfying mm. you know we, we talk about the books we read and um, we, we share poems and we look at each other's work so it's just a, a really for me just a lovely way of um, sharing intimacy and, and, and passion mm. but on the other hand we also have quite different processes don't we um Judy, and different styles. Totally different styles, yes, yeah. and, and different processes. Judy writes directly onto a computer, for example, whereas I still write with a pen and paper uh, before um, entering into the computer. And we, um, and as I mentioned, uh, well, I think in Judy's case, she often says that she will sit down with no idea really what she's going to write about, whereas in my case, I... For decades, I've kind of scrupulously kept notebooks, you know, in which I jot down ideas, images, what have you, and they can, as I've mentioned, they can sit there for quite a long time before I get around to writing them. So our processes are quite different. So even before your formalist phase, which you've talked about, um, uh, not that you were n not practising it in different ways earlier on, even in those early years, you knew the likely shape of the poem? Look, it's very difficult to talk about that. Sometimes uh, I will know, yes, this poem will be a sonnet, for example. I know this is going to be a sonnet, or I know this will be in quatrains. In the case of poems that are in more elaborate and longer stanzas, obviously you don't know precisely what it is, but you may, I may have a feeling that this is a poem that requires a kind of a, a larger scale 
elaborate stanza, and I have to you know, find that obviously in the course of writing. But having then decided upon, you know, the, having found this form for the first stanza, of course, then every other stanza must match. Poet styles change often, don't they? Yours has changed, um, and uh, often I think with poets, certainly the case with me, there is a, a, a trend towards a greater directness, greater mm. simplicity, mm. I, I, I hope. Uh, are you conscious of changes that may be attributable to the other's influence or comments? That's really hard to to be able to know precisely, I think. Um, uh, I know that I've been concentrating in later years more on sound, which could be an influence of Stephen's work, because his work's, you know, really quite quite sonic, not only in, um, you know, metre and rhythm and so forth, but just in paying attention to the, the mm -hmm. sounds of words. So quite possibly that's one influence that um, reading a lot of Stephen has done to me. And, and I, I also quite like formal structures as well. I think my poem become more formal as time's gone by, so quite possibly again that's mm. an influence mm. of Stephen. Mm, yes. That's, um, I can't think of any specific influence. Um. <laughs> Judy, you've talked about sound. How important is it for both of you to sound the poems as you write them. I'm often surprised when I talk to poets um, who say that they never listen to the poems. They write it, they're effectively writing it. For me, it is impossible to conceive a poem without just chanting it mm. out over and over and over to identify it line by line mm. um, until you identify the weakness in it and try to improve it. Mm. How do you work in that sense? I too am a bit of a chanter. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I just go over and yes. over and yeah. over yes. and, and just you know just trying to you know tune my ear or attune my ear to what what might not be working and That's right. and that sort of thing. I yeah. mean, I just yeah. can't envisage not doing that. Yeah. No, uh, I might not always speak it out loud, but it's always in my. I'm always saying the words, even if it's just silently to myself. But I, I do chant them out as well. Yeah, yeah. And Stephen, for you, this must be absolutely yes, imperative. Absolutely, yeah, I'm constantly. Yeah, I will read it every time when I sit back down, I read through it and to see how it's sounding, whether lines don't work, whether the meter's not working. I mean, some, and it's amazing the things that you can discover quite late in the process sometimes, just by reading the poem out, you suddenly realise, oh, hang on, you know, that... That line is it's a dud. That doesn't. The rhythm's not. Meter's not working there. Or... Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think it doesn't just apply to uh, mm -hmm. to, to poetry. I mm -hmm. certainly read aloud um, critical articles, mm -hmm. reviews I write, and mm -hmm. I always encourage my mm -hmm. uh, ABR contributors to do the same because mm -hmm. you identify um, repetitions mm -hmm. or banalities of mm -hmm. which you're kind of <laughs> unconscious of on on the page. I think mm -hmm. it's instrumental. A lot of poets work in considerable isolation, uh, creative isolation, even if they're in happy, happy um, marriages. Um, for some of us, the poetry reading group has been very important in leading one to a major new poet. I belong to a great group in Melbourne and, and discovered belatedly people like Donald Justice, and, and that's been fantastic in recent years. Um, 
I imagine that when there are two poets in the house, that, that must be such a fillip to, to the work. Have there been major poets' influences you've discovered really in the course of the, of the marriage? Well, Judy is much better read in contemporary, particularly American poetry, than I am or was, and she has drawn me to poets like Donald Justice and some others, B.H. Yeah, not yeah. Philip Fairchild is, is another poet. Not that he's poetry very like mine, but... And, um, Who is that for the listeners, Fairchild? Well, he um, came to prominence with, I think, whether it was his third book, was it? Um, the Art of the Lathe, which uh, he writes very much about, a bit like Philip Levine, uh, working-class people, as, as the title, The Art of the Lathe, implies, you know, the metal-working sort of factories, working-class people in sort of towns in Texas or somewhere. Uh, but it, And they're, they're quite um, expansive, longish poems often, uh, uh, in a kind of a... Well, they're not, not exactly conversational, but it's a very flowing sort of form, isn't it? Uh, and we've, uh, well, we've discovered uh, John Burnside pretty much together, yes, who we just... Scottish, uh, a lot of the Scottish, Scottish poets. poets. We've, we've started to read mm, a lot of yeah. Burnside. Um, Kathleen Jamie. Kathleen Jamie. Don Patterson. Um, Don Patterson, Robin Robertson. Robin Robertson. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so we're constantly kind of mm. discovering new poets, I suppose, or just mm. showing each other poems that we might have come across that mm. we've really enjoyed and mm. that sort of thing. You've spoken about um, sharing drafts. Um, what's the impact when the other person really clearly dislikes a poem or think it can't be saved? I mean, what influence does that have? Are you likely to put it, put it away or, or well, proceed? <laughs> I can't think of an occasion when we have said that doesn't work. No, uh, I, mean, also, I don't show Stephen everything. I mean, no. I've got poems that I think are just so awful I just wouldn't show. <laughs> um, uh, so, so we we sort of you know uh, we don't do that a, a lot. We may get to a point you know after several weeks where we haven't actually shown each other anything, and then mm. it might come to a point, and I'll mm. say to Stephen, "Can I have a look at your latest mm. poem?" Mm. So, so our poems are usually at a point that we feel they're they're, they're close complete. to completion, complete or close to completion yeah. before we show them we rather than drafts. A, a, a point of confidence. Mm. I guess yes, yeah. that's right. And I, I tend not to show my poems early on mm. uh, be, just because mm. I, I, I don't like interference at an early level. I, mm. I like to kind of nut it out myself. But, but then there have been occasions where I've shown you a poem and you've made a very, you know, mm. uh, fantastic suggestion about mm leaving that out or changing, changing a word or something. So mm. often those just that yeah. very last-minute kind of finessing yeah, yeah. Uh, can be very Similarly, helpful. Judy will you know, make a, a comment about something, and like just a, a poem, one of my recent poems, she just said you should get rid of the first stanza. And I thought, oh, OK. So I did, and so I just cut the first stanza. And that can be invaluable, can't it? Because mm. by that point in a poems creation, you become very attached to each stanza. Mm. You put a lot of, mm. invested a lot of energy That's and right. you want to hold on to it. That's right. That. And I think that to have someone come out and say, you know, that, that that's, a, that's a beautiful um, uh, quatrain or whatever, but it's not, it's holding up the poem. Mm. That, that can be very crucial. Mm. You're both winners of ABR's Poetry Prize. Stephen, 
the first winner back in 2005 with the poem we've just heard before it was called the Peter Porter Poetry Prize, with mm. which Judy won um, this year. Um, how significant are prizes of this kind in what is undeniably a, a difficult market, to use that horrible word, for contemporary poetry? Well, I found winning the ABR Prize uh, extremely good for my you know, self confidence and because until really until the beginning of the 2000s my poetry had been largely ignored or at least I felt it was it hadn't had much attention and and that, that winning that prize uh, was the start of a period when it has, has attracted a bit more notice than it had before and so that was really very good for my my self-image and confidence so uh, I was extremely pleased to win it um, I'm in two minds about some of the prizes, um, or, the, or the fact that you know, in many cases, you know, there's a lot of money attached to a prize, and you think, you know, well, art is not like a, an athletics race. You know, you can't really say this book is the best, and these other ones are not. Uh, it's, uh, I think it's, it can be unfortunate to have a prize culture develop, where if you haven't won a prize, somehow you're devalued. Um, and winning prizes is the, the main sort of index of your, of your value or your, your talent. I, I'd agree with that. I, I think there is an overemphasis mm. on the shortlisting mm. or the, the prize, mm. the prize winning, sometimes ahead of, mm. ahead of the, the work itself. Mm. Um, you've both, of course, just been shortlisted for the uh, biggest of Australian prizes, um, the Prime Minister's Literary Awards, now worth. Um, uh, $80,000 tax-free to the uh, uh, to the winner, and happily, all the shortlisted authors in the six categories receive $5,000. These are our national prizes, and and have great cachet. This must be a very pleasing um, acknowledgement by your peers. Well, the uh, the, the, the shortlisted uh, poems, and one hopes the winners aren't chosen by the Prime Minister. Um, <laughs> It must be very gratifying. It is. Um, obviously, we're both shortlisted. It's um, something that will probably never, ever happen again. We just happened to have books out in that same year, and mm. we were fortunate in the fact that the judges liked them. So um, it's mm. been lovely to celebrate together. Mm. Um, but we were just saying this morning, you know, uh, wouldn't it be nice if there was no winner that just everyone on the shortlist could share the money? I mean, I agree with Stephen about, mm. you know, mm. uh, just that terrible concentration on one particular book. Mm. Um, but I was thrilled to win the, the Peter Porter Prize because it's it's got such a, a reputation, mm. I think. And out of all the prizes that I've won, it was that one that I got the most congratulations for. Mm. So I just thought that was a reflection on the prestige with which that prize is, is held in the public imagination and the, mm. the way that people value it so, so, so well. So that was a great thrill. And, and that's wonderful to hear and for, for uh, poets uh, listening uh, to this uh, podcast, um, you still have a few days to enter the 2016 Peter Porter Poetry Prize, but it does close on de December 1. Well, Judith Beveridge, Stephen Edgar, um, thank you so much for your time and um, best of luck when <laughs> Mr Turnbull uh, presumably will announce the winners of the Prime Minister's uh, literary Award sometime in December. Thank you, Peter. Thank Thanks, you. Peter. My pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you.